Thank you, guys. That is difficult music to play when you have a broken string, so well done. Those are two of the most musical geniuses I know. It's, oh, I'll just take your guitar and you take mine. I'll play the bass and just forget about that string. I'll use the other ones. It's, it's much harder than it looks. They, they really throwing down on it. I have a couple of announcements. We've got tonight's our last Wednesday night study. So y'all have made it. Way to go. Way to persevere to the end of the study here. Um, we've got, uh, we'll have a little summer break. Generally in the summer, we don't have Wednesday nights. And what we encourage people to do is try to connect with other people that you wouldn't normally connect with, connect with people outside of your life group, and utilize Wednesday nights for rest if you need it, but something tells me you won't need that every week, so try to use it to connect with people on, on the weeks you don't need rest. Um, also, we've got a number of um, uh, DI teams, destination imagination teams here at uh, Crosspoint that are um, going to globals, and so in the coming week, you're going to find a number of um, pancake breakfasts and pancake dinners, and I just want to encourage y'all to really open your hearts to a larger helping of pancakes in the next week um, than you would normally be open to, because Team Namipa is going to have a deal next Wednesday, and the Backyard Pit crew, who I'm a little partial to, um, is going to be having a deal at GCS on Friday morning, and they're doing some things, so you may see that around as well. The end-of-year stuff um, with the, the play with the kids is, is going on, so we would ask you not to play with the props or any other parts of the stage, as tempting as it may be. Um, please don't do that. Um, and, uh, and they're going to have a sweet deal on Saturday if you want to be a part of that. What time does that start on Saturday? Two? Two? Yeah. Did you hear that? I was right. I was right. Two o'clock. I've only got four kids that are going to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the details there. Tonight, we're going to work on our final corporate discipline of celebration. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we come to you now. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this study. Um, just getting to talk about the disciplines and consider what your word says about it. Um, I really feel like if we're taking this seriously, that this is just kind of the beginning of a journey for a lot of us as we're beginning sort of in a new way to consider these disciplines that we should be putting into regular practice in our life. I pray, as we do for the others, for honesty tonight. Um, I pray for conviction and that we would confess our sins where they need to be confessed and repent and move in, um, in obedience. Um, I'm thankful for the promises that go along with that that we're going to consider tonight. Um, Lord, we love you very much. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to take a few minutes as we begin our final study to just have some recounting. Um, I'm big on recounting because I've learned through the years that I have a tendency, if we sit down to talk about something, I have a tendency to, to not go the positive way for some reason. So I noticed um, when I first started overseeing the staff here at Crosspoint that every staff meeting was a, a real downer. It was like, all right, what's going on this week? And I was like, well, this went wrong, and this went wrong, and this, this wasn't quite right. And it was like, man, this is a drag every week. And so I was like, well, how can we change this? Because <laughs> uh, I was the same way. And Philippians 4.8 just says, anything is lovely, commendable, worthy, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. If there's anything good, think over, the, over these things. And you, it shows an intentionality of where you're going to put your mind. And as we end, this, um, this being our last study of the disciplines, I just wanted to ask you guys for some recounting. What have you taken from the study? What has stuck with you? Or what's challenged you? Um, 
how have you seen transformation in your life as a result of being more spiritually disciplined and putting these things into practice? So just kind of wanted to take a few minutes to share. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is awesome. What else? That's awesome. Some direction and balance. That's what I've experienced. Just like I, I have a better idea on where I need to go on certain things because I know they're underdeveloped, and then just the, the balance that comes with if, if you're only interested in one discipline and not interested in these others, then very quickly you can see how that'll kind of get you off center. What else?
Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that the, the disciplines make you more dependent and yet more grounded. Like, like you'd think, you know, oh, I'm doing something, but it's like, no, I, I'm doing this because I know how much I need him to do something. So it's not a work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Anything else? Awesome. That's awesome. Anything else? Well, I want to encourage y'all to keep at it. Like, as I'm asking those questions, it, it feels a little awkward because I, I don't want it to seem like, hey, tell me how awesome this study was that I taught. Um, I, I'm well aware that I mean, I'm teaching using an outline from a book I didn't write that's taking its stuff from the Bible, and then I'm using those together. So never have I had less input on anything I've ever taught. And so I'm, I'm really, um, I've never also felt quite as challenged um, on just personally from a very personal level on these things. So this is, uh, I'm encouraged to hear how God has, has utilized that dynamic and that situation to, to, uh, to grow us. And I want to, I want to encourage you all to continue in these disciplines, to continue to put them into practice, to, con- to not get into the summer and forget everything. that Because you all done a lot of hard work this, this whole run since January. And so don't let that work go to waste. Um, really continue to be disciplined with these disciplines. Um, our final corporate discipline night is celebration. So I kind of wanted to start off on the foot that if, if I'm being honest, um, Foster states in his book, he says, it's an occupational hazard of devout folk to become stuffy bores. I'll, I'll read that again. In light of celebration, the corporate call to the discipline of celebration, Foster in his book says, it's an occupational hazard of devout folk to become stuffy bores. I, 
I, that, I read that, I laughed out loud, and I thought, yeah, I'm so guilty. I'm so guilty of that. Um, I don't like when people are dancing in a room. It makes me feel awkward. It's like not a celebration. It's like everyone's forcing themselves to move their arms and legs, and this is awkward. And when people get real fired up for small reasons, I'm like, this is fake. You know, pep rallies are dumb, whatever. And so, like, I, I've, always, I've always felt that way. So I read that, and I was like, I'm a total stuffy bore. But um, I, w- I was wondering, why is this? What are some of the internal things that keep us from joy and celebration? What are some of the internal things that keep us from joy and celebration? I'm asking for the internal because the external is obvious, I think. It's a little, little more obvious. To... Worrying about what other people think. Yeah, worrying about what other people think. Because it's the fear of hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah. Finding joy now. Yeah. Yep. Very serious. Yeah. Yeah. It's not over. We have to continue, and the next trial will likely be harder. All those things are true, but you're supposed to be joyful. <laughs> what are some other internal things that keep us from joy and celebration? Yeah. Yep. Don't don't want to distract from the Lord. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like when your house is too quiet and you're like, something's wrong. You know, because the kids, they shouldn't be this quiet. It's like, it's like, oh, I'm joyful. Something's about to happen. Something's about to go down. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, the kind of people who go on vacation and can't enjoy it because they know it's going to end in less than a week. <laughs> Weirdos, man. People are so weird. That, that was me. It was a testimony that I was sharing. Yeah, and, and a lot of times we do that because we don't actually believe in heaven. We don't actually believe in eternal joy. So we think, oh, I got to get so much joy out of this. And if anything goes wrong, you know, all of our money and time for vacation has gone into this. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So what are some other internal things that can keep us from joy and celebration? Sin? Guilt and shame? Yeah. Stress? Yeah. Yeah. Can't enjoy anything until my complete control freak nature is satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So sometimes it takes a conscious effort, and we don't put forth the conscious effort. What else? Yeah. How, do, how does that work? How does selfishness keep us from being joyful and celebrating? Yes. Yep. Yep. Sometimes there's lots to, you can look around. And, I mean, 
Some, some of us are really good at weeping with those who weep and terrible at rejoicing with those who rejoice because when they're rejoicing, sometimes we're jealous, sometimes we're bitter, sometimes we're just self-infatuated and we're so focused on how things are going with us that we can't rejoice with people. But when they start weeping, it's like, now you're speaking my language. But yeah, rejoice with those who rejoice is hard when we're selfish. What else? Lack of gratitude. Lack of gratitude? Yeah. Yeah, I think lack of gratitude is, is absolutely true. Are we among the most blessed people to ever walk the face of the earth, of the history of the earth? Absolutely. But yet we can't... I was talking to someone today about the comedian, everything is awesome and nobody's happy. <laughs> Don't look it up because there's links to other things. But yeah. About jealousy. jealousy, yeah. Yeah. No wonder he's chipper. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Entitlement. So, to such a level that when you have something great, if it's not the level of entitlement that you have, you can't quite, can't quite rejoice. Yeah. Someone say something? Yeah, when we're not moving in it, we're not actively, you know, being proactive in it, we don't just skate. There's no autopilot that, you know, if you're not actively moving towards God, you're going to be actively moving away from him. If, if you're not, we've said it in, in Latter Romans 12, if you're not transformed by the renewal of your mind, you will be conformed to the world. That you, you don't, there's no category where you just kind of sort of, uh, you know, ease on over to what's right. And so when you're not, you know, putting the roots down deep and, and actually moving that, yeah, it'll keep you from it. I figured once we got a little bit of traction under us, we would have no lack of reasons um, for uh, the internal things that keep us from joy and celebration. And I wanted to give a fair amount of time tonight to say it because I want us to be honest about these things that keep us from it because seeing it as a discipline is, is different, I think. I think I've thought often of, of joy and celebration um, as just reaction. Like, I'll be joyful and celebrate if something makes me. You know? It's a new car. Fantastic! And you're joyful and you celebrate. But to think this is an appropriate time for this. I need to be joyful. I need to praise the Lord. I need to celebrate. Thinking of it as a discipline, and not only a discipline, but a discipline that 
we need to, we need to, we need to, is I think a little bit different. Turn over to Galatians 5. Yeah, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Who, by being anxious, can add a single span to his hour of life? That is such a struggle uh, for so many. Here in Galatians 5, I want you to look at verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other. So to be clear, the Spirit and flesh are opposed to each other. They work against each other. They try to keep the other from doing what it needs to do says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we know so many on earth now and who have gone before us have sought joy in the very things of that list and have even celebrated by doing the things on that list. And the warning, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. According to these verses, what is joy? A fruit of the Spirit. That's the first thing I want us to see tonight. According to these verses, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, you might have a tendency to think, ah, it's kid stuff. I, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace. And, and this is deep. This is a reality that we have to understand right here at the beginning, that, a, that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is fruit that is p- produced through our effort, but by the Spirit who is beyond our effort, so my question is, how do we sometimes wrongly define joy? I think it means you, uh, you, you interpret that as if you feel happiness. Yeah, just, just happy, which would probably be more in that reactive sense. Make me feel it, and I'll, I can't help it, I'll be joyful, and that's probably more like happy. Yeah. How else do we wrongly define joy? The response to circumstances. Yeah. Can you have joy in spite of circumstances? Yeah. So that's why that would be a wrong definition. 
What are some other ways we wrongly define joy? Yeah. Yes. If I have a zero default, zero defect day, then if nothing goes wrong, if work is great, I get a raise, my children are well-behaved, my spouse is, just loves me um, and, and isn't annoyed with me ever. And, and, you know, like we have these lists and it's like 10 things could be amazing and we totally lose sight of it because that one thing was off. And someone say, how's your day? And you're like, well, I got cut off in traffic and it ruined everything. Um, yeah, we're, we can sometimes be too easily unseated because we have this expectation that everything has to be perfect. That's called entitlement. Yes, yes. Cannot coexist with any negative emotions. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, Paul Tripp uses a, if we're just looking at behavior, you can staple fruit to a tree, but eventually it's just going to die. You know, that's an example that he uses. And, and so it has to come from, like what Chad was saying, deep roots where there's change in a heart. And so what, what, what we're getting at here is that joy is a deep issue. Um, joy comes from, from things that are going on in, in the deep parts of your heart via the work of the Spirit. And so, um, what do we mean when we say fruit of the Spirit? What, what do we mean by that? We say joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Well, what does that mean that it's a fruit of the Spirit? What, what does that mean? A product of what? A product of continuing. Great point. It's a product of continuing. Yes. Yes. It's not just things you get from the Spirit, but it's things that you like are because you're full of the Spirit. Great point. Yeah. 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 The example would be if you say something terrible to someone, you, you say. I did not mean to say that. Yeah. What you mean is, I did not mean for you to hear me say that. Because it was inside. It, yeah. Again, Paul Tripp and his stuff, he has the bottle of water and he shakes it and he says, what comes out of the bottle when I shake it? People say, water. And say, why did water come out? And say, because you shook it. He said, no, it's because it's what was in the bottle. And so we have these circumstances where things come out of our heart and we say things and we can't say we didn't mean it because we know what scripture says about it's an overflow issue. So... Yeah, fruit of the Spirit. What, what do we mean when we say fruit of the Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, a, it's not just a, a personal project. It's not something you do on your own. It is, this, is, this whole chapter there is about keeping in step with the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit. So I first just want us to see that joy is the fruit of sowing to the Spirit. Joy is the fruit of sowing to the Spirit. It's the thing that the Spirit produces when we sow to the Spirit. Or to say it another way, joy is the fruit of obedience. Joy is the fruit of obedience. 
when we're talking about sowing to the Spirit, we're talking about obedience. Or to say it in a flipped other way, joy can never be found by sowing to the flesh. That's what the Scripture teaches us over and over again. All those things before, um, I mean, just sexual immorality, sensuality, drunkenness, rivalries. Some people thrive on rivalries. Some people think that joy will be absolutely found and you know, through drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality and these terrible, vile things that are mentioned. And what we see here is that if, if joy is a fruit of sowing to the Spirit or if joy is a fruit of obedience, you can say that joy can absolutely never be found by sowing to the flesh. If you're believing that, you're believing a lie. If you know someone who's believing that, they're believing a lie, and you have to lovingly tell them the truth. You do not have real joy in your life because you're sowing to the flesh. You do not have real joy in your life because you're being disobedient somewhere. Now, does that mean every trial just means I'm, I have a trial because I'm sinner? No, God takes us through things, but we can have joy even in the trials if we are continuing to sow to the Spirit in the trials. So we're not talking about just some fleshly forced movement of celebration that's empty where we just go through the motions. Um, we're talking about a response and an overflow from obedience. So celebration is the result of something very deep within us. So what does this tell us about a lack of joy? What might it come from? A lack of obedience. A lack of joy, biblically, can very possibly be coming from some lack of obedience. Now, we have dark seasons, there's dark night of the soul kind of stuff, there are seasons where we're struggling with things, and um, man, there is, um, there are so many different variations of why we might have a lack of joy, but in some capacity, no matter what it is, in every one of them, there's something we can learn about our hearts, there's something we can glean and understand and learn about where we are in our hearts and where we can move in greater obedience in something. And a lot of times, I've found in my life, the darkest seasons I've ever had where I had a, just a real lack of joy, God was taking something away from me that I didn't realize was an idol. And it wasn't until it was gone that I was like, uh, okay, I, that was apparently an idol, because I am unseated by what's going on. And you can know something is sin, or something's an idol if you sin to get it, or if you will sin if you don't get it. Those are two good indicators. And so a lack of joy in some capacity, maybe it's huge, maybe it's something more specific that you gotta get, you gotta work harder to figure out what it is, but is often from some sort of a lack of obedience. Because joy is something that can be there no matter the circumstance. Turn over to Luke 11. As we're talking about joy, and we're talking, I wanna. I want to see what Christ says to, to understand a little bit more what that is because it's not just happiness and it's not forced. It's something that's deep. And it's interesting what, what Luke 11 says. Um, Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. <clears throat> I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This says, uh, as, as he said these things, um, he's... He's shared the number of things above that you can see in the, in the deal. But he says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him. This is a, so Jesus is talking. Jesus is saying things that, that some of these people are like, that is good news. That is great. That is awesome. 
And this, this woman is hearing Jesus talk, and she's responding just kind of out loud over everybody and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And Jesus, so she's saying, who could be more blessed than your mama? This is, I mean, good night. What a blessed woman she must have been. And look at Jesus' response. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What does Jesus reveal to us about joy? What's it come from? Yeah. He's telling us here, it comes from hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God. You hear it and you keep it, and that's where joy comes from. It comes from obedience. And he even goes further. It's such a small statement, but he says so much by it. He says, joy comes from hearing God's word and keeping God's word. So joy comes from obedience. And he goes even further to say, there's more joy in obedience than even carrying the Savior in your womb. I have been terrified that someone is going to birth a baby in this study for about five weeks. We've got all kinds of pregnant ladies up at Cross Point right now. And, um, and my goal is just to make it to the end of the study with no one having their baby during it. And, um, and so, um, but there's a lot of genuine joy for a woman who's carrying a child, genuine joy. Um, even if that kid's going to just be a total punk for a long time, I mean, they're still, it's just, they're just glowing. A pregnant woman just glows in a way that is unique to her state. And, um, imagine the one who is carrying the Christ child. You'd think, gosh, I, I bet she just hovered. I mean, good night. I mean, there's such joy in the expectation and the excitement. And even Christ himself is saying, there's more joy in hearing the word of God and keeping it than, than carrying Jesus in your womb. It's a big statement. He's saying, go ahead, what? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And he's talking to people who are going to like him for a little bit until they kill him. So that's a great connection. He's saying you hear it and you keep it and you continue in it. Don't just let it be a temporary thing that, that, that will eventually not be there anymore. Eventually things will change.
Yeah. Man, that's such an awesome testimony. Thank you for sharing that. That's, um, it's a great tool, too, for if you're sharing Christ with someone. It's like, are you happy with, I mean, is, is this walking by the flesh really producing in you something that's lasting and worth it? Or are you in a perpetual cycle of shame and guilt and frustration and confusion? Because these designs that are by God who created us, sometimes we just act like they're, they're cultural anomalies. Shame is just a cultural anomaly. If you lived in a totally different culture, it wouldn't be like that. And that's not a reality. That's not true. It's, it's God's design. Um, turn over to Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8. We're going to move through this next part fairly quickly. Nehemiah 8, verse 9. They have recovered the law, and now they're reading it to the people. And so it'd be like saying, we haven't seen this in a while, and now we're going to read it to everybody because we found it, and it's good, and we want you to hear what it says. And so um, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So there's all these people who hadn't heard the words of the law, and now they're going to hear them, and as they hear them, they're weeping. Now, why are they weeping? Yeah, guilt. Guilt, confusion, a number of things, I'm sure, but we weren't doing that is what would happen. It would be like if you were living a life of total fleshliness, and I, and I explained it in detail about what God's design was for you, and you said, oh my goodness, guilty, 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 and, and you're convicted. And so they're weeping and mourning, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And in verse 10 it says, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. What is their response initially to reading the word? Guilt, weeping, brokenness over sin. Was it an appropriate response? Yeah. Was it a complete response? No, there was more to it. And what I find interesting here is that they had to be guided into that by their leadership. The leadership had to understand the situation enough to be in, co- in connection with God enough to say, yeah, we got, it. we got work to do, but don't just sit there and, and waller in your, in your shame. And your sin. We've got work to do. But you know what today is? And they say today is a day of rejoicing. They needed to be guided by their leadership into the appropriate thing to do, which is rejoicing. And what did the rejoicing and celebrating lead to in this verse? The rejoicing and celebrating, what did it lead to? Strength. Strength. We get it backwards if we think, okay, if I have enough strength, then I will rejoice and celebrate. This is saying, biblically, rejoice and celebrate and you'll have strength. Contentment, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what that means. 
It means you rejoice, you have joy, you, you take the, this is a discipline. They were bummed out, they were weeping, they were mourning. It would be a discipline for them to celebrate. And the leadership says, hey, it's time to exercise the discipline. Break out the wine and break out uh, the, the fat and let's celebrate. Now, surely we can say he was not promoting drunkenness and overeating. This is an appropriate celebration. It was was appropriate response. And so what we see here is that the rejoicing and the celebrating led to strength from God. The ESV has a note. He says, though sorrow for sin was a positive response, joy at renewed relationship with God was the teaching's ultimate response. It's the relationship with God that brings that joy. It's the closeness with God that brings the joy, not how good you're doing. It's God and the relationship you have with him. As the people rejoiced in God and delighted in his presence, he would show himself strong to help them and defend them. Joy was a keynote because God had saved Israel in both, in both the remote and the recent past. The story also teaches us something else. And it's something that, that, that quote at the beginning, um, it's, an occasion, it's an occupational hazard to devout folk to become stuffy bores. Um, The story teaches us that sober-mindedness is not opposed to joy. Some people who cannot have any fun at anywhere, they can't go anywhere and enjoy. They cannot let their hair down. They cannot let their guard down. They cannot let their shirt come untucked. They they cannot allow their hair to move. Um, They're just, they can't chill. And, uh, And what we see here is that sometimes when we act in that way or we're over, we're not going to, we don't want to overdo it, guys. Let's calm down. It, it, it's because we, we would say that, well, we got to stay sober-minded. And what I want us to see here is that sober-mindedness is not opposed to joy. To be sober-minded is to be in touch with reality. To be sober-minded is to not be skewed as to what's real and not real. Like if, if you've ever gotten drunk, you can't tell what's real and not real. Your, your depth perception is off. You make decisions that are poor because you are out of touch with reality. You, you're you're going to do things that are stupid because you're out of touch with reality. And so to be sober-minded is to be in touch with reality, and sometimes reality is joy. And the proper response to joy is celebration, or sometimes the proper response is to celebrate and find joy and strength in it. So looking back on the year of Jubilee, you remember the year of Jubilee that we talked about? What were some of the things in the year of Jubilee? Yep, no growing crops. Debts were forgiven. Yeah, their property was returned. Servants rested. So negatively, if we were just the most negative people on planet Earth, why was this a bummer? You had to do your own laundry. It only, yeah, it only lasts a year. I know I'm going to get into debt again. What else? Yeah. Yeah, there was someone in that equation, God's year of Jubilee, who was genuinely opening their wallet and giving people money back, which means less money in their own wallet. There were slaves that were helping with projects that were going on that were returned to their homes. There was land that people owned that they were returning to the original owners. This is such a foreign concept to us. 
we have an absolute right to private property. We have an absolute right to whatever we want to have an absolute right to in America. And entitlement runs rampant. My question is this. A jubilee, by definition, is a celebration, right? So this year of jubilee was not a bunch of servants are gone and I've got less money and I'd missed that piece of land. It was a celebration. That's what a jubilee is. By definition, it's a celebration. How could one possibly celebrate the loss of material goods and riches? Because their identity is not found in the goods and the riches. How else might we possibly celebrate the loss of material goods and riches? God's going to provide. Yeah, leads to simplicity. Oh, we're weaving in the other disciplines now. It's so good. What'd you say? Someone else got blessed. Can you rejoice with those who rejoice? You have to trust God. The joy comes from trusting God. When you said, God will provide, in that situation, you better hope he does. In that situation, you're not leaving other options. You don't have like a backup plan and a second backup plan. It's like, no, God provides. This is God's design. The year of Jubilee, we're going to do this. There's no biblical um, record of anyone ever actually following through with this. Just so you all know. So if you're thinking, man, that would have been hard, they thought so too. How could one possibly celebrate the loss of material goods and riches? Foster in his book states, says, The spirit of celebration will not be in us until we have learned to be careful for nothing. And we will never have a carefree indifference to things until we trust God. This is why the Jubilee was such a celebration in the Old Testament. No one would dare celebrate Jubilee unless they had a deep trust in God's ability to provide for their needs. So what we've seen so far is that joy is a fruit of the spirit. A lack of joy might come from lack of obedience. In obedience, we have more joy than Jesus' mom. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is not opposed to sober-mindedness. And joy happens when we trust God deeply with the details. And the last thing that I want us to see is that joy can take time. Given these realities, what we've learned about the timeline of joy is that, interestingly, it's the last discipline that Foster mentions in his book because it's, it's a culmination of walking in these other disciplines. Joy is. He says in his book, some, many, are looking for some kind of heavenly transfusion that will bypass the misery of their daily lives and give them joy. But God's desire is to transform the misery, not bypass it. God's desire is to transform the misery, not bypass it. God's normal means of bringing his joy is by redeeming and sanctifying the ordinary junctures of human life. And he says at the end of his book, that is why I have placed joy at the end of this study. Joy is the end result of the spiritual disciplines functioning in our lives. God brings about the transformation of our lives through the disciplines And we will not know genuine joy until there's a transforming work within us. Many people try to come into joy far too soon. Often we try to pump up people with joy when in reality nothing has changed in their lives. Nothing has happened in their lives. You may have been to church services that were more like a pep rally. And that's what could be happening in some of those situations. We're trying to pump people up with joy, but nothing. there's no change in the heart. You're just modifying behavior. God is not broken into the routine experiences of their daily experience. Celebration 
comes when the common ventures of life are redeemed. That's good news. That's really, really good news. So joy is a fruit. Lack of joy can come from obedience. In obedience, we have more joy than Jesus' mom. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is not opposed to sober-mindedness. Joy happens when we trust God deeply with the details, and joy can take time. So continue to persevere in the disciplines. Continue to sow to the Spirit and exercise the spiritual disciplines, and the, rejoice, and the result will be growth in Christ and joy in His will. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this time. We're thankful for this semester. Um, I do pray for deep joy in the lives of everyone here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more disciplined. I pray that you would just, in the most simple sense, help us to take the word seriously. Help us to take you seriously. Help us to do the things you want us to do and to be about what you want us to be about. Lord, I pray that we would be a a people who care about joy, but I pray that we would care about it biblically. Lord, I know that some are hurting because of circumstances, and my hope is that they would not feel like these truths are a slap in the face, but rather I pray that it would be a sweet, bold reminder that we can be sustained in joy through even the hardest of circumstances because our God is with us, because the Spirit is moving, and that is how we keep in step with the Spirit. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.